0: I'm doing this entire episode off of the top of my head. So I remember all the things that I wanted to say to God when I was five, but I didn't get a chance to because I was too busy surviving. And surviving was thriving in my subconscious psyche at that point in time of my life. And I did not experience the conscious vocabulary to say now what I could not say back then because the traumatizers I had to maneuver them through the means of survival, which was thriving to me back then. So what I wanted to say to God, which I can say now, is... I don't hate you. Sometimes I felt like you hated me because of what was allowed to happen. I did everything in my power to please the Holy Trinity. I couldn't fully do it. It meaning I couldn't fully please the Holy Trinity at that time. That's how I felt. But a lot of believers listening to my story would say, you were a child. You're automatically innocent simply because you were a child. And they would say, you did fully please the Holy Trinity then. And they would say, you... are completely experiencing the mercy and grace of the Most High God. And then believers would also say the ones who fully displease God were those traumatizers. And let's just say it will be above and beyond ugly for them when they meet God or when God chooses to meet them and then as a child I felt that um, I tried my best to be a gentleman but with an organized crime it's m- much more than excruciating to be a gentleman because of the inherent misogyny that organized crime brings. I did my best to bring my organized Christian faith to a heartless organized crime world. So I recognized that that impacted our relationship with God, mostly negative, mostly negatively. The positives were that I had an extremely strong faith at that time. And knowing believers, knowing believers, they would sometimes interject lovingly and say you still have that extremely strong faith even now as an as a, you know from what I'm hearing you you have it and then i remember going like asking god a lot of questions that I, I, as a child, you don't articulate all of your questions because, simply because you're a kid. But as an as an adult, I wanted to. This as an adult, I'm gonna ask the questions I was asking when I was five years old. In my heart, subconsciously, I said, "God, why?" Are you allowing me to be a sex trafficking victim? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why are you allowing me to be a human trafficking victim? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why are you allowing me to be raped by men and women? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why are you allowing me to sell crack cocaine, powder cocaine, heroin, marijuana, PCP, speedballing type of drugs against my will due to these so-called adults who are organized crime figures. What what godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why are you allowing my mother's brother to have sex with women in front of me and some of the sex is actually him cheating on them? And some of the sex is actually... And I would say the sex as a whole is abusive. W-H-O-L-E. The sex as a whole is actually abusive. Rape culture. What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why did I have to live with a criminal? My mother's brother. What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why am I seeing heated arguments, cursing messages, and name-calling, and street harassment and just sexual harassment when it comes to organized crime, or what godliness is gonna bring out of that? Why was I physically abused by many criminals, including my mother's brother? What godliness are you gonna bring out of these things? Why am I a child being forced to curse around organized crime figures who are so-called adults? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why can why God can I not have the full ability to tell my grandma Claire what was happening to me? Why didn't you give me the words to say something? Why didn't you give me the understanding to call 911? Why did you allow me to go through all these things, and I'm black and I have autism. What godliness are going to bring out of all these things? Why did I have to walk the streets of DC with a gun, a black semi automatic pistol? What godliness are going to bring out of all these things? Why? Was I made to feel like an orphan once my grandma Clara hopefully transitioned to heaven? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why do I have more love in my heart for my grandma Clara than my own biological mother? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? Why do I see my grandma Clara as the only true mother figure I've ever had? even though I, had, I have a biological mother, what godliness could you bring out of that? Why, how come I, I couldn't have the freedom to fully be Christian when I was five years old? What godliness are you going to bring out of that? And knowing believers, that believers would interject again and say, well, we're here for you. We are going to make sure that you have the full freedom to be completely Christ-like. And they will say, we love your questions. We love your concerns. We know they're coming from an innocent place, a good place. We're not offended by your doubts We're not offended by skepticism because we know that when people go through things, we can't fault them for having truly honest questions. Because it shows, Antonio, that you truly have a decent, pure heart. So how you feel is embraced by us. That's what believers would say. I'm telling you what I thought back then and what believers would say to me now. This is a healing exercise. And then I would say, I would tell the believers, look, I know that on my episodes, the potty mouth comes out, that my sex talks come out, my... struggles with religion comes out yes I talk about the criminality in my childhood that comes out and I talk about how hard it is to have autism at times and the racism and the ableism and the adult supremacy at times I talk a lot about those things And I would be like, yes, I do talk about my sexual orientation, my gender identity often in the podcast. I do. And yes, some of my episodes talk about the fluidity of the concept of God relating to me. And then I explain to them the fluidity is not about being a fickleness. That's never the case. It's child me, desperately clingy, needy, holding on to God. But as an adult, I've done my research. And a lot of what I was told in the Bible, according to... Scholars and scientists, they debunk it. So I'm desperately holding on to God as a child, even though I've done adult research. And every day I heal from the organized crime part. And I would say that's the fluidity that you hear in the religion episodes that I do. And then I would tell them I'm not sexually reckless callous at all. I would say that, to be honest, I experienced the concept of healthy sex, healthy sexuality from the people that were holistic. And wholesome. About sex and sexuality, even though they had unmarried sex lives. And I would tell believers, nothing I do is about hatred. For God, Nothing I think is about hatred for God. Nothing I do is about hatred for God. Nothing I feel is about hatred for God. Nothing that I say is about hatred for God. I would say, if anything, my inner child me is still desperately clinging on to God. I just do so in the most unorthodox of ways because that would tell believers I had an autism it automatically makes me unorthodox in this orthodox world. And I'm blackness, my blackness is considered unorthodox in a white orthodox world. And and I would say again my autism makes me unorthodox in a neurotypical orthodox world. And then I would say again and then I would say this I valued children, which makes me unorthodox in this adult supremacist, orthodox world. And then I would say, I had an unorthodox childhood. So, going about things traditionally is not honorable of the fact that I can't reach people that way. The way I reach people is through outside the box. And then I would tell believers, Jesus was considered the most unorthodox human being of his day everywhere he went because traditionalism was not working well nor working wonders for the people that were ostracized and demonized by the synagogues and the temples of Jesus' time. And so I would tell believers, I'm not warring against Jesus. I'm not fighting the Holy Spirit. In all actuality, I would tell believers to be honest, I I love the church, but the church doesn't love me back. I am experiencing unrequited love when it comes to the church. I'm doing all the loving, but... I'm not getting the customer service I need, which is to acknowledge and have a plan, an effective plan for how do we care about the salvation of rape survivors? of those who survived organized crime, of those who survived racism, survived ableism, survived the broken home that I came from, survived the dysfunctional biological relatives that I'm a product of. And I would say, I, I just always wanted that. And a part of me still wants that from the church. I'm like, this was, even though organized crime at times felt like the most impactful world, the most impactful world Honestly, it's the church when it came to my when it comes to my life, because that's where my grandma told me you will get God's compassion there. What the world won't give you, the church will. The world may not give you compassion, but the church will give you compassion. The and my grandma said that Grandma Claire said that the church will give will display God's compassion to eat from them she said from God you get the compassion it's but they're the vessels for it and so I've struggled with these things and knowing believers it wouldn't be and and I want to say this I'm not a as you know, I, I don't have this spirit of dictatorship. You don't have to like everything I say. You don't have to like everything I do. You don't have to like all my thoughts. And you don't have to like all my feelings. I'm not trying to get approval for everything I think, say, thinking, think, say, feel, and do. I'm not trying to get approval for everything I think, say, feel, and do. That's not the point of me living my life. I never do that. But I would tell believers, look, this is what I've been through. I'm just refusing to hide these things from you. Because if I hide it from you, you may not know how to be patient with me, to be kind to me, to care about me, to love on me. I don't make everybody I meet my therapist, I don't mind referrals. Um, so that's not the point of the ep- this episode or any other episode. But I will say that so many people ask me, did you ever get therapy for all the stuff you talked about on that podcast? I, I would say no, because the therapists I saw, they even felt like they couldn't therapize me because What I have gone through is outside of the norm of the courses and classes that they take in terms of their graduation day diplomas and degrees. So most people, it's like one out of a hundred people go through what I go through. I'm just making up a ratio, but I know it's the truth. The stuff I've been through it's it'll take a lifetime when it comes to therapist' office. That's how much I went through so much so me podcasting is actually my art therapy because I'm processing and healing as I'm disclosing what occurred um I couldn't tell the therapist everything I went through because that's how much trauma happened. Am I always open to getting more trained help? Absolutely. Psychiatry, therapy, I'm all for it. Um, So I would tell believers um, that... I would say to them... They would probably ask me this question. We saw your Clubhouse profile. and We see that you're a member of Black Atheist. Can you please explain this to us? I would say... Black atheists and atheists in general never try to cure me of my autism because they don't see my autism as a disease, and neither do I. And, um, the eighth, athe- you know, the atheists and the black atheists. They never think I'm demon-possessed for having autism. And neither do I. I would tell them I've met so many Christians, in name only, who when I told them I had autism, they they took out their magic lotion and potion and tried to put it on my head and rub my head. And then they tried to pray my autism away. And they said, Satan, you will not have this child. Come out of this lovely child, Satan. Send this autism right back to hell, devil. That's what happened to me. And so I had to push their hand away And I had to wipe the oil off my head because then they looked at me confused. And I said, you're hurting my feelings. Jesus wouldn't treat me this way. Jesus wouldn't be trying to get rid of my autism. He would try to tell you to see the God within my autism. There's nothing wrong with me, God, and I remember telling him, God doesn't have a problem with my autism. That happened to me in childhood um about I was about thirteen when that one of the times I remember being thirteen, I remember being eight um eleven, just different ages in my life, just between eighteen thirteen was when I met adults who were or you know, Christian adults who were trying to get my autism removed. And sometimes before they would try to get the potion out or rub my head or pray over me or prophesy and testify, I would tell them, I need you to be sensitive to my autism, to me, be sensitive to me. Instead of trying to get rid of it, I would say, show the world How they can be blessed with autism. I remember telling them those words, and so to fully, I would say to fully answer y'all question about why the Black Atheist Room, I I I am always treated as a human, a fully human being with them. They let me be myself, and I don't I don't have to play a role. I don't have to be someone I'm not. I don't have to impersonate nor impress, do impressions of anybody. I can just be myself. They appreciate me and my greatness. And that's how I would feel inside. And then... um, I would say to them... I'm into safe spaces. If that means I find them with non-believers, I'm not going to leave a space that's safe. And I said, well, you know, y'all are believers. Are you willing to be my safe space? And a lot of believers would say, absolutely. We studied what you went through, we read your book, we heard your podcast. I I want to understand to the best of my ability, I truly want to understand. And then I would explain to them what atheism means for me. I would say it's not about rejecting. any possibility that there could be a God. I would say that's not it. I would say, I reject misdepictions of God that make God out to be this human rights violator, human rights abuser, human rights atrocity committer. And then I would say within the Bible, I have seen things that really hurt I would say, for example, slave obey your masters, even though that's not the whole scripture. Those words, I would say, I'm a product of sexual slavery and sexual exploitation. sexual exploitation and commercial sexual exploitation of me as a child. I cannot identify with the slaves obey your masters verse. It hurts too much to even try. That's why I never tried. And then I would say in Deuteronomy, the whole paying shekels to your father and the way it's written, it's implying or directly saying that there was the daughter being a victim of rape culture. And I would say, I cannot identify with that, especially as a rape culture victim myself, and this whole paying me, paying my father to, you know, paying a father to, you know, violate her have to marry her. No, I. Plus, that makes me think. For example, like the women who raped me, they got. St- they got paid to do it a lot of times, and they gave me a cut of the money sometimes. That scripture, those scriptures in Deuteronomy, really hurt. And then with Leviticus chapter eighteen, the classic in the minds of some traditionalists, that if you're gay, you you, you get executed, basically. And I would say, but sexual orientation is something that you biologically experience. So why would God be angry at me for liking the same gender, but I don't have any malice in my heart towards women? Towards men, towards non binary persons. I don't have that, so why would my attraction be evil? I don't I don't misuse my attractions. And then I would say to believers when it comes to like my whole porn star aspirations, I would say. I'm naturally an exhibitionist and, and a voyeurist. And I'm just a natural public figure. And I'm not just wanting to have sex on camera just to do it. And I would tell them, hey, there are people like me who have been deprived of healthy sex, healthy sexuality, and even if they do the right thing, such as seeing a sex therapist or a sex coach or a sexologist, they still want to see healthy sex so they can get an idea of how to have healthy sex for themselves and for their partners. And... I would say, yes, there is a lot of problems with mainstream porn, absolutely. And yes, there's a lot of human rights abuses in, in in some parts of the porn industry. That is true. But I would say, well, I'll be doing porn starring infrequently, sporadically, because my other interests capture my attention more. And I want to spend more time I'm enjoying emotional intimacy and intellectual intimacy with people and social intimacy with people more than sexual intimacy with people. That's why I want to spend more time not having sex, actually having sex. Then I would say, a lot of, I would say to believers, a lot of people use ethical porn to try to understand how to be sexually healthy, whether you do group sex, whether you do two person sex, for example. Whether opposite sex, same sex, or bisexuality, ain't, like my case, pansexuality. So that would be my talk with them about, hey, and, you know, some of the people who ethical porn are survivors of sex crimes, and they don't want to hate sex and sexuality. They want to use it correctly because it was used more than just incorrectly when when we were traumatized. So I would say I'm doing it for people like me and for people like them. That would be my response. And I, knowing believers, I think that there would be a sense of I think they they at that point honestly I think that they would be doing all they can to learn about what triggers me and what the predicaments against me were If anything it would be a outpouring of empathy I don't think that they would um, be so what's the best way to put it? I don't think that they would be so critical if anything they would want to do life together with me and I think that they would share their stories and then as a way of relating to me and my pain do I think with believers that they would fully um Accept everything. I don't have that expectation, but it would be a it'll be series of conversations. Like we really need to do life together. We I we we really need to to give you the real Jesus. That's how it would be. And um, also when it and I would tell them these heart-wrenching stories in a slow way I'm like I'll feed you these stories little by little I can't give it to you all at once that would be too much and they would appreciate that I'm like it's too much for me and they would go you know let's take our time you know, getting us to know you and let's have these talks so I would tell them there were times when I was a five year old child that I remember beef culture where People are feuding with each other and everybody in each other's lives. I would say feuding is communal in the sense that it impacts the whole community traumatically. And then I would say that being in that world. Did I see stalking as a sort of as a result of the beef culture? Yes. I did. Did I see a woman shoot off a guy's head because that guy attacked her brother by try- by swinging on him and then trying to shoot him? And she came out of nowhere, shot the guy's face off with her gun. She's one of those family members with no fuse, not even a short fuse, she had no fuse. And that guy, sense of smell was ruined forever because she shot his nose off, permanently injured his face. Even though he had to get plastic surgery, his face was never the same. And also in the organized crime world, I would tell them that um, had I stayed in that world a little longer, as long as the mafia wasn't going to get caught, they would have turned me into the black Ted Bundy and they would have definitely gone above me on to make me quote unquote a street legend a quote unquote a kingpin when it comes to drugs drug kingpin and they would have tried to make me uh extremely notorious and I would say to them that um To be in that world of crime, for example. I do remember. That the concept of having criminals on standby. So so some of the some people who are lawbreakers are trying to. Threaten my life and they did. The criminals took out their guns and murdered them on the spot in front of me. Did overkill. Laughed, joked, and smiled. As they did so. I remember walking around places. Sometimes the gun was in my, was zipped up in my backpack. Other times the gun was sticking out the bottom of it as I was walking the streets. And I remember there were rumblings about me as I was walking the streets. And I would say to them that they were warning each other to stay away from me, not to talk to me, not to approach me not to be caught look not to catch me not to catch them looking at me and not to be bothered with me because in that world it was assumed that because I was a child that constantly experienced a a traumatic and warped sense of loyalty from the crime figures who these these grown-ass men and grown-ass women, yes, believers, like I said, it, I let it fly sometimes because it's the truth that these grown-ass men and these grown-ass women who are criminals are willing to, quote-unquote, kill for a child. And... My message to them, to the believers after that story would be, um, they thought I would, the crime world, that I was the most, more dangerous than a person directly kills, even though I never had adults. I never, or in even though I never said hey go kill so and so that never happened they were always on standby they were always near me Um, for the most part there were times where they did their own thing and I remember contacting them through pagers they said hey I'll be over this place but page me and I'll come running or I'll come sometimes they came running And sometimes they would just drive extremely fast, erratically, to get to me. Because sometimes there are times in the crime world where people were trying to fight me or beat me or kill me, that type of stuff. And I would say, hey, so-and-so's trying to do this to me. Took out their guns, killed them. I saw the whole thing. That happened... At one point, it was happening often, and uh, over time, it waned down to here and there. It was sometimes at one point, too. And... um, One time, I remember... a pastor or, or a preacher was trying to tell a, a woman parishioner the biblical justifications of of her being a victim of domestic violence. So I remember, um, I think I told the story before, but let me give you new details so you won't think I'm just saying it to say it. Um, I showed up, I told the woman who told me these things that I would handle those things for her. She appreciated it. And... I remember... It's hard for me to share, but I remember having a, um, a time where I walked the streets looking for these pastor, the pastor and preacher and um, met up with his associates. They gave me his address because I said I wanted to bless the pastor. Showed to the pastor's doorstep with a gun in my hand. And I shot at the, um, frame within the, um, the, um, his picture, the portrait on the wall to show him that I was serious about if you justify domestic violence with the Bible, he, you know, I was going to end his life. I'm five years old. That's how I felt. I had the I'll kill you for a woman mentality. That's how much chivalry and gentlemanliness that my grandma taught me it meant so much to me. And. um So at one point I broke the pastor's face, va- broke the pastor's face with a vase That he had the doorsteps of his home. And um, beat him up with the Bible, it was a bloody Bible. Um, It was bloody because of what I did. And, um,. also um I um told him with the gun to his head in the beginning, then I put it away, even after he begged and pleaded for his his life in the name of prayer that made me beat him up a little bit more I put the gun away and then beat him then I left after um, I had the gun in my backpack I had my backpack on that one time and then I had my backpack on when I left and my backpack had the gun in it. It was still loaded. And the portrait which Had bullet holes in it. Riddled on the floor. I never got reported for. I was five. I had... I, I. Everything I'm telling you... There's... Psychological manipulation beyond measure and compare. Emotional manipulation beyond measure and compare. And my empathy and compassion were manipulated beyond measure and compare, too. I experienced intellectual manipulation beyond measure and compare. I was adultified as a child. I remember getting older, and they parentified me and babied me. Those were just all horrible and deplorable to me. Still is and always will be. And that pastor ended up turning himself in and is serving decades behind bars. And that same incident happened when it came to other pastors and other preachers and Uh, other church ministry, church leadership leaders, and, you know, deacons as an example. So that happened to me, that same story happened to me in the form of different guys at least six times, at least six times. And all those guys end up serving decades in jail because they actually were abusing the same women that their husbands were abusing. So they all got the same treatment that I did to the first pastor. Basically, that same story... Happened about six times with six different guys. Um. And I was protecting women victims regularly. Of domestic violence. And, um. The rest of the organized crime stories that happened were that um, that getting back to the old story of the rumblings. Because I walked the streets, they didn't approach me, they didn't talk to me, they didn't whistle at me, they didn't greet me, they didn't glance at me, they didn't wave at me, they didn't say hello. They um, stayed away from me, stayed cleared of me. They would get in their cars and drive off quickly while screaming. And they would um, run away screaming at the top of their lungs for their lives. These are criminals. These are associates of criminals. I didn't stay long enough to be a street legend. Um. But in a lot of ways, I was treated like a street legend when it came to also. Um hanging out with, um... being forced to hang out with criminals against my will. I remember, um... <laughs> I remember that they, um... were very much what I was saying where I left off was a lot of the criminals I remember being around them and they're were at times amazed that I had a fearsome reputation uh, for being a little kid that many adult criminals were terrified of. They got a kick out of it. Um, In that crime world, I remember that feeling uh, feeling like I had to prove my self by having a fearsome presence even though I was only 3 feet 5 inches at the time I did have a short person's complex that happens a lot often in the organized crime world I was made to behave in all these ways I never glamorized crime I never glorified crime I always bash crime and I always show that crime is reprehensible I was five so keep all this in mind and the believers would come in and say that we're gonna be your true friends and true family um, that's what would happen to me It would be quite devastating at first to mention such things like this because this was something I never wanted believers to know, but darkness has to be overcome by light, and believers know that that's from the Bible. So I'm starting to show believers... All of what I went through, and to know that I will also, and to know that I can differentiate and make discernments because. this is painful to say that I remember the whole reality of being in that world crime and having to be honest with believers about why I'm edgy at times and crass other times but I'm healthy crass, I'm healthy edgy That's what I want believers to understand about me. I'm the healthy... I'm the healthy rated... R-A-T-E-D... NC-17. I'm the healthy rated... R-A-T-E-D... TVMA... Mature audience. Um, I was afraid of being... Misjudged... By believers... By giving them all these stories like this. And to be even more honest, um, I was afraid that I would be excommunicated, extradited, and disfellowshipped from the body of Christ for mentioning all of these horrid and horrendous portions of my childhood existence. I no longer feel these things anymore. I no longer feel those worries anymore, thankfully and gratefully. Three more quick stories from organized crime I remember banging a head banging a guy's head against the sink he was abusing a woman in her home and that's when I said that's when I kept saying to him is she is she still a bitch to you and he would say no 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 at first is she a bitch to you and he kept saying yes, yeah. so I kept grabbing I kept holding his head banging it on the sink on her sink um the guy was a, uh, her casual sex buddy so I grabbed his head cause all of a sudden he started swinging on her I didn't know he was abusive to of at all the time so I start I beat I beat him senselessly bloody pulp grabbed his head banged it on the sink each time he kept saying yes every time I kept asking him if she was still a bitch to you and then I, and then eventually he said no. Then I asked him another, one, one last question. I said, um, "Is she a woman to you?" And he kept saying, "She's, she's my chattel property." And I banged his head on the sink some more. Then he said, "Okay, she's a woman to me." And then I, um, and the woman saw all this and um he ended up going to jail the woman reported him and she said i did that in self defense she left what i did out there were times where i was when I, when I protected women from domestic violence usually all the time actually they would leave me out of what happened people at, at that time they didn't like putting me in the middle of stuff. So they would leave out what I did. So either those guys would turn themselves in or they would get successful prosecutions because the woman called the police and I would tell the woman, you know, hey, I would encourage them. Calling the police means you'll be safe. He won't hit you or call you out your name anymore. And another time... Um, A woman was defending herself in the street. She found a baseball bat in an alley. In an alley, you tend to see things, you go, why the hell are they there? What the fuck is a baseball bat doing there, right? So, guy was, had a reputation for dishonoring women. And he did so through physical violence, sexual violence, right? So I saw him trying to do both to a group of women. And I got the baseball bat because I gently commanded her to pass me the bat. Because I walked by, I saw him trying to sec- be sexually violent, physically violent towards her. And so I told him, first she called her a bitch, now he called her a liar, when I confronted him with what he was doing. And then I said, you got, it's your last opportunity to make amends with her. If not, I can't promise you that you won't die after this. So the guy was calling my bluff. I took out the, so that's when she passed me the bat. Because the bat was on the ground. And I bashed his head in. I said to him, before I bashed his head in. I'm gonna home. I'm. I said to him, "I feel like playing baseball. I'm gonna home run you right now." So I hummed around him in the face, bashed his head and The bat broke, and then I took a breather, calmed myself down, cause I didn't want to yell at the ladies. Come on, let's go. I never yelled at a woman at that time, and I said. Calmly, Come on, Queens, let's go. And we locked arm in arms, and we walked out of there. Another story was, because um, these women saw what I, every time I defended one, they saw me being violent towards these guys who were being violent towards them. So another story, a guy was, um, again, another guy being sexually violent, physically violent towards another group of women. And she told me that he's been doing this to her for 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 like a like a month. So I I heard a lot of bad things about that one particular dude, so I believed everything they were saying. So what I did was I said I remember saying The nigga said, what? That was my response. And I said, do you want me to fuck his shit up for you? And um, they all wanted me. They all said yes. So I said, you know, I told them, okay, Point the nigga out to me. I was five. I said, point the nigga out to me. They all pointed him out to me. So, I I um, I remember tapping him on the shoulder. Because I walked up on him after I said to the women, um, remain here. I'm going to handle this bullshit for you. So, walked up on him. But I did it gently because he was about 20 feet from me. His back was turned, talking to... His back was just turned. It was just him. He was just looking out, and the women were nearby. So he was about 20 feet from us, actually. So his back was turned. He was staring out in the space. Walked up on him, tapped him on the shoulder from behind. As soon as he turned around, I knocked him slam out, foaming at the mouth, he was bleeding. And I locked arms and arms with the woman. And I gently led them away from safety. And I told the woman, okay, it's time for us, it's time for you know, the police has to be called. So they all called the police. And that guy ended up serving um, about 40 years in jail because of his extensive rap sheet. There were things that the police were trying to get him on that he actually did, but he kept evading uh, capture. So about 40 years to life, I think he's still in jail today because um, last time I heard about him, he was on bad behavior in jail. So they extended his time in jail. Um, I remember that. Every time I defended a woman I always encouraged them to to call the police and every time at first they were hesitant I would say but you want to be safe I would always say that Do you want to be safe and they did and that's how they got um that guy jailed and then um Another thing I remember... Is, um... There were times where I defended women... And the women ended up killing the guys... Who were... Being physically violent, sexually violent toward them. Sometimes... The police weren't called enough because... Um the woman would take my gun and kill him. She she asked me for the gun. And at first I was like, at first I was stuck. I was like, I I don't want you killing nobody. I don't like to see you that way. And she asked for a because She said, he's never going to, leave me be because he still kept attacking her and I still had to keep holding him down beating on him and he would never stop so we didn't have time to call the police so I gave her my gun that the criminals gave me and she finished him off and that happened many times with other guys and with different women um So I think overall these stories will shed light to believers on on the fact that I think a lot of believers now when they hear this I think they're like I think they're gonna pray um But before I do that, before I go any further, one last cr- organized crime story. How did I get my gun? I remember um, meeting up a guy. And he this is how he would introduce himself to me. He was a criminal. And I got my gun from him. Our exact As soon as I walked through, um, it was a... It looked like a pawn shop type of place, so I walk on in, like a yard sale type of place, like a garage shop, walked on in. He would always say, Antonio motherfucking Myers, how the fuck are you? And I, and I remember responding pretty motherfucking good, my goddamn self. And then he, you know, engaged in small talk, and then he asked me why I wanted a gun because I asked him for the uh, pistol. I was five and I was trying to find the best way to protect women just in case if the cops fucked up and weren't able to help. And I remember saying to him, niggas are attacking the honeys. And then he he, he was just taken aback. And then I said, um, yeah, cough that shit up. And he gave me the free gun and talked a little bit more after he handed over the um, the extra bullets to And as we left, we, he, we said, um, be safe, my nigga, that was my worst one. It's the organized crime world, so, they don't care about children and language caution around kids, there's no boundaries in that world. So that's how I got to go. And uh my message to so those are all my organized crime stories. So I wanna say this so I can talk to the believers and and even to God. Um I would say, you know It was tough for me to give this audio letter to you all. Um, but I felt like I owed it to y'all to hear what I experienced. And I want to say to all the believers, thank you for praying to God on the best ways to show me love. And concern and care and warmth. I want to thank all the believers for for not sweeping anything under the rug. I want to thank all the believers for hearing my story and this and making amends with me when it came to some Christians who failed me. And I want to thank all the believers for having a heart for me. Um, I want to thank all the believers for caring. Um, I know that a lot of believers will say to me, that God is using us to bless you, that God is using us to care for you, that God is using us to be a miracle to you, And a lot of believers would hear this and go, okay, we need to spend as much time with Antonio as possible. And we need to have substantive conversations with him. And let's be the church to Antonio. I think a lot of believers would treat me that way and um, my message to God would be and I, I would say to God if you oh my God What went through your mind when I was praying to to change the hearts of the criminals while I was in organized crime? I guess my will. Lord, I would say to God, This statement, the Lord is my shepherd, is not completely easy for me. This statement, a mighty fortress is our God, is not completely easy for me. This statement, H- hiding in thee, O oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I, is not completely easy for me. This statement, glorious things of thee are spoken, are not completely easy for me. The statement, "Oh God, our help in ages past is not completely easy for me. The statement, all people that on earth do dwell before Jehovah's awful throne are not completely easy for me. The statement, praise to the Lord, the Almighty is not completely easy for me. The statement, "Oh worship the King, all glorious above is not completely easy for me. The statement, bringing the sheaves is not completely easy for me. This statement, the king of love, my shepherd is my shepherd, shall supply my need, is not completely easy for me. Why are all these statements not completely easy for me? Because healing every day is not completely easy for me, even though my child self loves all those statements unconditionally and permanently. Um... and another statement and other statements that would be that my child self said when i was absolutely going through um and i want to say this because I want to say that my child self would say that Jesus, is the son of man, the son of God, the bread of life, light of the world, gate for the sheep, good shepherd, the resurrection of life, the way, the truth, and the life and the vine. Now say all those names of Jesus that my grandma taught me, because um, that was all the therapy I eh? that I could muster up being forced to organized crime. So um I know believers would now talk to me about like gospel music. How can we, you know, if you know if we want to communicate to you through music, will how can we make sure the lyrics don't trigger you, including the melody. And the preaching. And even like Bob said, believers, how can we communicate in ways that don't make you feel um, less than or subhuman? You know? So I think I can honestly say that once enough um, believers hit this episode, I can see a lot of churches going. We will do everything we can for Antonio to never feel forsaken by us ever again. I can see churches inviting me not to um, smite me, but to say, we can't wait to make it up to you. We want to love on you like crazy in a good way. So... This is my audio letter to God and to the believers.